Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials a podcast that is a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm Emily Bejan, your other host. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for joining us once again as we take a trip down memory lane, but what is old is new again. And new is old. And yeah, now we're talking about reboots because yeah. doesn't that just feel like a natural transition? Of course, of course. And there's a plethora of them to choose from. Oh my God. The last five years have just been, uh, just when you thought you're, you'd never see your 90s fave ever again, it's getting a reboot and half the old actors are there, maybe, I don't know. Like, Yeah, or if you're the Disney Channel or just Disney Corporation in general, you uh, just remake all of your old animated classics into live action. Oh, I cannot tell you, I mean, I know this, we're going to get into TV reboots yeah. and we're, we can't touch movie reboots because then we'd just be here all day and Angry. Emily and I both have jobs. So, Gotta you know, we money. had to just narrow our scope quite a bit. Um, and we're not even going to talk about all of the late nineties and early 2000 reboots that are happening. I mean, that's why we had a whole dedicated episode to the Hills and Laguna beach since that's all coming back. But I can't express to you how disappointed I was when I saw the new Lion King trailer and it wasn't like the Broadway show. I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting it to be a full-blown CGI. Oh, so you wanted humans in the yes. costumes. I yeah. thought, yeah. I genuinely yeah. thought it was yeah. going to be like Julie Taymor's Broadway adaptation. I forgot that was Julie Taymor until last week when my friend did a piece on Across the Universe and like the problematic area. Oh, I was like, who was I talking to the other day where I told them <laughs> that I fucking hated that movie? It was you. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, because my one of my really good friends just did a piece on, uh, on that for a, a newsletter all about female directors. Yeah. <laughs> not her best work but no. it's fine we don't need to we don't need to dwell on it yeah. but I was very disappointed by that trailer and I know Beyonce's in it but I've yet to see her in one of the trailers I mean like I guess see her 
aka hear her voice, right? Because that's yeah. the only... I just... I'm so unsettled by the accuracy of CGI, too. Like, that Alita Battle Angel movie. Now I'm going oh on a completely God. different tangent. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the uh, CGI is, like, very... A little too unca- uncanny valley for my tastes. And, yes, mm-hmm. the robots will... When they uprise and murder us all, please know that I've always said thank you to Siri and Alexa. So just know that I'm a nice person. You're polite to robots. Exactly. Please don't kill me. <laughs> I'll be your underlord, under underlings, <laughs> underlords. <laughs> Not really sure. Maybe I should put down the coffee. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a bunch of TV reboots because I think, you know, we both, TV was our first babysitter and last boyfriend. Yeah. And so I feel like we're a little bit more comfortable diving into TV stuff. And I understand, I I, I guess I'm not fully surprised by Hollywood being just as cyclical as fashion. Yeah. But it still is unsettling the amount of, like, you go on Twitter at any day of the week and they're like, hey, the show that you used to love, we're rebooting it. And you're like, do we... No one is pausing to reflect on whether or not we actually need it to be rebooted. It's just happening. I just feel like someone was like, you know all those BuzzFeed listicles devoted to that, uh, you know, To nostalgia. To nostalgia, (laughs) like that obscure late 90s boy band that wasn't quite... Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, or LFO famous. Uh, oh, are you talking about O-Town? O-Town. Um, and, but we're going to make You know a who's not getting a Vegas residency? O-Town. They're getting a Reno residency. <laughs> you know what? Circus Circus could use the foot traffic. Uh, yeah. No, it's... um. But it, what, I think once those listicles took off, like, someone saw this and was like, wow, BuzzFeed seems to be capitalizing on all this nostalgia. Let's go ahead and just make a bunch of shows that we used to make, and now we're gonna make them again. And I just blabbered on there. I need to put no, down my I, coffee. I genuinely think that you're right. I feel like BuzzFeed does have quite a bit to do with the resurgence of nostalgia culture, nostalgia's pop culture making a reemergence. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to have an Instagram account that's dedicated to old pictures of Winona Ryder in the '90s, but it's quite another to be like, you know what? Sounds like a good idea. Heathers, let's reboot it for today. I mean, if we wanted to start about reboots that never were, no. that I don't know if anybody had asked for them, but we got it anyway, oh, and then it God. got canceled. Like, that, the whole rollout of it was completely bonkers. Like, I just don't know if you can make a Heathers satire now the way that you could in the 80s. And I know that it's a movie from, an, from the 80s, but they did turn it into a TV show. And from what I remember from the reviews, which were scathing. So bad. I mean, yeah, I know that they pulled it because the week that it was supposed to be released, there was a school shooting, which is, like, every week, so you shouldn't really, like, plan all of your TV releases around that. No. Um, Maybe just don't have school shootings in your TV show if you're so concerned. Um, And also maybe just do some gun reform work, but that's a different topic. (laughs) (laughs) The week that it was supposed to come out, the school shooting, they shelved it, and then... The critic reviews came out, I believe, and all of them were like, the show is leaning into stereotypes. It's definitely just, in a word, it's just, or in a sentence, it's just punching down constantly, whereas the Heathers movie was known for punching up and, like, sort of burying a bit of the lead on who they were trying to dig at to make you think about it. And I mean, and also no one was redeemable. And I just don't know if that necessarily translates into a TV show, unless you're going to go full blown, like breaking bad, which would have been fine. But 
And I, I feel like the the good, you know, the dark teen comedy evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think, well, Heathers may have evolved in the casting decisions because I think they had like a plus size woman as the main Heather and then they had a genderqueer person as one of the other Heathers. And I'm sorry if I'm like getting some of these facts wrong. But um, they, you know, they evolved in that character development. But ultimately, I think that there's some things that evolved in that dark teen comedy uh, genre post Heather's where Heather's like kind of put it on the map in many ways but but the evolution over time happened for a reason and I just yeah I don't think that the show kind of echoed that yeah I definitely don't think that it had sort of like the qualities to make a good dark teen soap like the way that like a Riverdale does like I I haven't seen Riverdale but I've heard by all accounts that it's very good and it's very addicting I have also watched you which is also like sort of like a dark comedy it's not aimed towards teens but a lot of teens watched it and I just think you have to be a lot more clever and I feel like maybe they just went too much for the obvious joke um I, I, whatever. I never saw the light of day, really. It, it was on Paramount TV, and the way that they rushed the airing schedule, it was very clear that they did not want you to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it was just, there were like three weeks where I kept hearing all about it, and mm-hmm. then it just kind of disappeared because of the shelving and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I remember watching the trailer and feeling kind of confused about what the tone was. Yeah. Like, you can totally do an update of Heather's and have more of a diverse cast that is not just meaning that you don't have all blonde people and one brunette like you can actually sort of reflect the world in which we currently live in but even just from the tone it just it felt like they were going to fumble it from the jump no i i I totally agree i think yeah there was just the the plot and just everything it just again it had not evolved itself the way it should have um and i i don't know about you i just feel like teens nowadays are just more self aware and you, I don't know you just can't feed them as much bullshit as you, you used to mm-hmm. you do in some ways of like YouTube and whatnot but I feel sure, like but that's I mean then I feel like you're going to YouTube for something really specific yeah, versus yeah. when you sit down to watch a show yeah or you want to try to get into a new show or whatever yeah it's just completely different and I, yeah I also that's another part of it too watching the trailer you just wonder who is it for right is it for the nostalgia factor like is it for people our age to reminisce and like you know, people older than us, or is it for teenagers? Yeah, I don't know. It was unclear. Very unclear. Um, speaking of things that don't age well, when they initially had announced that they were going to reboot Roseanne... Oh, dear God. I was... I wouldn't say excited is the wrong word. I really did enjoy Roseanne growing up, yeah. just because I grew up poor. So, like, I was like, oh, I completely relate to pretending that my mom's constantly in the shower from debt collectors and all sorts of shit. So... There was a lot of that, like, blue... I don't know why I ever deluded myself into thinking... Or maybe when you're younger, you don't really take party <laughs> affiliation too deeply into account when you're watching a TV show. But it never really factored in heavily to me that Roseanne and Dan would be Republicans. So when it came back, that was kind of a little bit shocking. I mean, what she goes on to later do uh, yeah. on Twitter is its own thing. It, even on its way back to a comeback, I think everybody was pretty well aware of how problematic Roseanne, real-life Roseanne was on Twitter, and that she was maybe not the down-home, um, call it like I see it, but like not in a malicious way kind of person that maybe we've all remembered in our mind's eye. But it was just, 
it was jarring to see her now and to have to reconcile who she is as a person currently and the person that I used to really like and she double are not the same person. Yeah, no, it, it just didn't work out. And I think one of the biggest things that, that kind of made me reflect too is like, so with the Democrat Party over time, like in the 90s, you know, whether or not they would have been Republicans or Democrats, I think there was probably a bigger likelihood, likelihood then because this was like Clinton era, like boy from Hope, Arkansas, like right. a lot of people of like the working class, blue collar, white families were Democrats then. And I think a lot of that evolution happened over time because, of course, the Democratic Party evolved and is more tolerant of people of different backgrounds. And in some cases, many of these not, not stereotype, but a lot of these blue collar white families oftentimes are not going to care about like trans rights, gay rights and all that kind of stuff parties evolved and yeah now they would very likely be it's just a different time different democratic party and it's like it just it just didn't work i i everywhere no, there. <laughs> I, I also feel like i understand the need i don't understand op-eds in the times yeah. letting alt-right people discuss their hateful thoughts on life that nobody really needs to hear at yeah. all like you should definitely go back to keeping it to yourself but I understand from, like, a Fox News perspective that you see that there's this untapped market that nobody's truly catering to yeah. and that you could actually do something like have significant ratings for the first time when it's really difficult to capture viewers in that way. And that's why that Tim Allen show, the Last Man's Stand. I was going to bring it And up. so it's, yeah. this is what this, sh- that, this show was supposed to service that demographic. But yeah. then she went on Twitter and... I mean, just showed everybody exactly who she is. And what I kind of appreciate what they ended up doing was they just murdered her and rebranded it the, the Connors. The Connors. Yeah, yeah. I, which, I mean, she got becky kind of, in a way, which yeah. is sort of, like, beautiful karma. I, I still don't really have a ton of interest to watch it. I just don't feel... Like, I love Laurie Metcalf, and yeah. I think she's a wonderful actress. And truly, Aunt Jackie is, like... Aunt Jackie and her Navajo jackets are... That, first of all, is my favorite Tumblr... R.I.P. Tumblr. <laughs> there was a Tumblr account where it would just be all of Aunt Jackie's oh. jackets oh, man. from the show, and they so are good. chunky as the day is long, and like <sighs> questionable Navajo prints, and just so, this oh. wacky white lady. Oh my god! Oh my goodness! But they she didn't was... at Coachella any day. <laughs> I mean, now those sweaters probably cost you quite oh a bit. Urban on Outfitters eBay. will do a line in the next year. Mark my words. <laughs> Look if the Lori Metcalf. <laughs> Buka jeans are making a comeback. Aunt Jackie's Navajo jacket will be making oh a God. comeback as well. Speaking of those, have you seen the Instagram account What Fran Wore? It's a an Is it Insta- Fran Jesher? Yes, an no. Instagram account fully devoted to all of Fran Jesher's outfits in the nanny. Ooh, and they find them on eBay. So you you want to buy this like Moschino jacket? And I hope I said that right. But like a dress or whatever, they found a bunch of vintage. Yes. Huh. Yes, and it's a Luke. I, I think I said that correctly, but, like, yeah, Fran Drescher, man. The classic. Classic. Um, <laughs> which, that's another show that there have been talks around it being rebooted, but nothing super solid yet. But anyway, they've rebranded Roseanne the Connors. I think it's still successful in its own right, yeah. and it still has most of the cast employed. And I get that they didn't want to let go a bunch of production people who had nothing to do with Roseanne being a fucking racist piece right. of shit. Yeah. So it's fine. It's whatever. It's not for us. I think that's also something to keep in mind when going through these 
while discussing these reboots, is like, who is it for and what purpose does it serve? And this one came up for me when I was um, looking at Murphy Brown. So yeah. I did I did the Lord's work and I got a CBS All Access free trial <laughs> subscription <laughs> so I could make a more educated um, discussion about Murphy Brown in this reboot. And so uh, Murphy Brown was like ahead of its time, the 80s and 90s, because this is like a single woman. She's got a career that's like she's she's living her life and then she has a kid on her own and back then then vice president dan quayle condemned her on live on national tv and they ended up referencing it on the show like they she they had they showed dan quayle's clip of him like taking down murphy brown and it you know, I don't know if that's what led to Clinton's election, among other things. <laughs> but if some people say that might have been part of it. But anyway, so they, they've done this reboot, and it's very much I cater to people our mom's age. Like, it is, you know, Murphy Brown in a pink pussy hat at the Women's March, and then, like, going into, you know, rebooting her show with the same people. Um, and there is just constant kind of pandering to that demographic of these, you know, older white, mostly white women right. who were, you know, Hillary supporters and just wink, wink moments where you're just kind of like, this could be funny. And I, I, re- I respect the shit out of Diane English. Cause like what she created was an amazing show, yes. but it's the reboot itself, I think is very much of a wink, wink humor type of thing that really caters to a specific audience and not as people like our moms. Um, What does Murphy Brown's son do in the show, Emily? So he is a, quote, liberal voice of a conservative media outlet that is called Wolf News. (laughs) Is he supposed to be like Alex Jones? He's or is it more so, he's so like, more like Glenn Beck? He, so he's not even like he's not even conservative. So it's like this faux Fox News thing that's called they call it Wolf News. Hires him as their liberal pundit so that they can have a voice of liberal reason on the sh- on their oh, network. Oh, I see. Yeah, and it's, he's played by by the way for those of you who enjoyed watching the TV show Greek like I did. He's played by um, Evan Chambers. I'm blanking on his name. I'm sorry. I'll remember it later. It's Jake McSomething. <laughs> very white mcwhite <laughs> um but anyway it's it's a very the show itself is fine i guess but it is very specifically for one demographic and even with the laugh track and that kind of thing like it's still it still feels very much like it's old show and hasn't really done anything to kind of move the needle yeah another show where i question what purpose it serves or what sort of point of view it gives everybody or unique point of view it lets people in on that we haven't really seen before. Like, I think it's great, whatever, you bring her into the 21st century and she has things to say about the current administration. I don't know. I I wasn't really moved or compelled to watch more than just the pilot, and it was fine. And I just don't feel like, it's like I saw it, okay, it could have honestly been a TV movie. Right. It didn't really need to be like a full-blown show if you really felt the need to bring it back. No. Yeah. And it's sort of how I feel about the Will and Grace reboot. Because it literally, I mean, yeah. by the way, not a single one of them have aged. So it yeah. really does feel like it's 2002 all over again. Yeah. And it, it's another thing, just like Murphy Brown, the canned laughter is so off-putting. It just, it's it feels so dated. I mean, it's really, when you think about the shows that still do it, it's, it's almost exclusively CBS, by the way. Mm-hmm. They're the one studio, that I think, that really does 
pander to that. Not sing it's multicam, correct? Multicam. I'm talking to a film major here. Yeah, so. a single cam is like what we're is kind of more along the lines Orange of what we're using. Orange Black and like all the Netflix shows, or, or even just like The Good Place and Thirty Rock and Parks and Rec were all oh, single so. cam, and I think that 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 really makes a huge difference. And also NBC was probably one of the first network TVs to to get rid of or at least get away a little bit from the canned laughter studio audience shit. Yeah. Which I think also cuts down on, well, it doesn't cut down on costs because you have to pay for locations. But you can figure, I feel like from an artistic standpoint, it just is better. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, it, it that I think that dates it, too. That, yeah. That, on top of everything else, not having your characters evolve, pandering to a very specific audience and all that kind of stuff, I think using the same format that you used, which is very much associated with comedies of the, you know, 90s and older than that, yeah. it, it just, it dates it even more, and the canned laughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Will and Grace. I, it's just... There's not much to say. It, it really is the same show. Again, I only watched, like, the first handful of episodes of the reboot of it because it was basically just the same thing. And I love Megan Mullally, but she's very funny in anything she does, so I don't really necessarily need this show no. anymore to see her. Well, and it's like, so we've talked about this, too, where, um, you know, there at the time, Will and Grace was really famous, and then Queer Eye came out a few years later. There has since been a Queer Eye reboot, and this, I think, is an example of someone who has done it right. I think they evolved. The, 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 the premise is the same still, like, you know, improving people, making them look better and all that. But the, the evolution of, you know, the gay, of the LGBTQ population and, like, having rights and having, you know, just the way the country has evolved over time and culture has evolved, I think that they were able to take what had been a very successful reality TV show and evolve it for the times. And I think bringing it to something like Netflix also helped too from a, you know, from a look perspective, branding, what have you. Like, I just think that that has evolved way better than Will and Grace, Murphy Brown, like any of these other shows that had a, a moment and then did a reboot and just did not know how to evolve with the times. So, and I think that really what Queer Eye is for the better is that they have a completely different cast. So yes. do you think that, I think definitely network <clears throat> sort of plays into it. And Queer Eye, I think that this current version of Queer Eye could also live on Bravo too yeah, and it could. would be fine. Yeah. It, it might be a little bit more, they would play more on your emotions and sort of like lean into the sort of heavily produced editing that Bravo is just known for. Right. But like Bravo is not opposed to making a good show. Like they made Dirty John earlier this year. Or right. sorry, late last year. I don't know what year we're in. Um, <laughs> and that was pretty critically acclaimed, mostly because of Connie Britton and her beautiful hair. Oh, but um, they're not opposed to, like, letting a thing be an hour long and just sort of, like, let it play out however it's supposed to. Yeah. But I think that the biggest boon to Queer Eye is having a fresh new cast that can be the new Carson or the new, oh, God, uh, uh, who is the style guy? Tony? Tony. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that is super helpful, and that is as natural of a segue as we can get into for this Buffy reboot that was announced. Initially, so I love Buffy. I grew up with Buffy. Um, I cried when she sacrificed herself to save her sister because I, quite frankly, did not think Michelle Trachtenberg was worth it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I was so happy when, when Willow and Tara got together. Mm. Um, I was saddened with Angel's exit. Uh, Faith was the greatest. I will forever be haunted. I don't know why this episode sticks in my brain the most, but when she Buffy's first year at college, 
when she lives with that monster. Oh, yeah. And the reason why, she, the way that she figures out that she's a demon, like, not, uh, not like a, um, I'm not using it as, like, a metaphor, like, she's, like, a literal demon. She trims her nails, and the toenail clipping grows, and, like, the, and so she, like, collects them to, like, see what's wrong with her, and she, uh, it was just, like, it is one of the grossest things, and oh, I mean, God. and the show has had transitioning vampires that you just, like, stab in the heart, and they turn into dust, and, like, that doesn't gross me out, but that toenail shit has no. stuck with me. But anyway, Buffy's a great show. I think it's definitely a show that would not benefit from a reboot or a spinoff. Yeah. And so, luckily, the announcement for the new Buffy the Vampire Slayer show that it doesn't have a network, it doesn't have a cast, and there is no script or release date, so it's all still very tentative. This could totally go the way of, I don't even know, like, there's, like, Clarissa Explains It All, and even, like, the Daria reboot, like, a couple of other shows that we had purposely left off because there wasn't... There haven't been full-blown announcements, but because, <clears throat> excuse me, Joss Wheaton had essentially given his blessing to this I was going to ask new you about iteration. Joss Whedon. yeah, okay. And he's involved in it. Yeah. That I felt like we could talk about it a little bit more at length. Um, so it's going to be a sequel, which I think is sort of a genius way to preserve the memory and what everybody loves about Sarah Michelle Gellar's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so this won't have that sort of shadow it needs to get away from too much because it's a sequel. It's a different Slayer. Yeah. And <clears throat> although the prophecy is when one Slayer dies, another one oh, emerges. Oh, just say it all. Just like a Supreme. <laughs> Into every generation. There's always a Slayer. <laughs> I actually really don't remember that all the way through. But yes, if you... <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like Pavlov. Excellent. Yeah, just really. You're you whispering. There's every generation, there's a new Slayer. Definitely, I heard that gong in the back of my, in the back of my brain. And now I can't unhear it. Um, so, just like Supremes in, in Witchcraft, when one dies, another one can emerge... But at the end, in the season, or in the series finale, not season finale, because that's how traumatized I was by Buffy dying in season five. Oh at the end of it, I had to ask my mom what the difference was between the series finale and a season finale, and I still, my dyslexic brain could not, like, keep them separate, so I ended up mourning Buffy being over for most of that summer. Oh, God. <laughs> but was so delighted when it came back, but even though she she didn't show up to, like, the second or third episode of the sixth season... And I was like, I, this is too much Michelle Trachtenberg. It's Ugh. too much. I don't care. Mm -mm. I don't want to see Joyce sad. This is a bummer. I'm not into this. Mm -mm. But at the, in the series finale, at the end of season seven, uh, Buffy and Willow activate Slayer magic that distributes to dozens of potential Slayers, creating an army of potentially empowered women. So this new Slayer could hypothetically be that, or if they really wanted to stay true to whatever the prophecy says, I, we don't really need to see Sarah Michelle Gellar pass on screen. No. <laughs> we can just allude to it, or we don't even need to talk about it. I genuinely think the less that you bring in of the original, the better chance you have for survival and to be judged on your own merits. Like, I personally, in watching it, don't want to be making the comparisons. I think it's fun to think about, like, oh, who is her Giles equivalent or who's her Xander equivalent? Like, I think that's pretty much where I want it to end. Yeah. And they don't even need to be in those same sort of, like, teacher archetype or best friend archetype. I'm just curious to see a different Slayer's life because I find just the general lore of it to be compelling enough. Yeah. And the last thing that anybody really wants to see is a com the same story told all over again but with a different person. It's, so yeah. 
unless you're dramatically changing the roots of being a slayer, then uh, if you're rebooting it to have, like, I don't know, Colin Joss be the fucking slayer, then we're going to have a problem. But other than that, this is not going to be an issue. Just reboot it, set it in San Diego, or I'd like to see it by the beach for some reason (laughs) instead of in the valley. But, um... I just think that they'll they'll give themselves more opportunities to show us a different side or sh- introduce us to another badass slayer. They can team up with other ones, sort of like what Stranger Things was trying to do last season, but they completely fucked up for some reason, but like have slayers come together and split apart. And I just think that there's a whole nother brooding vampire that she can fall in love with or not, or she can fall in love with a real person. Like, I don't really care, but I, I care that it's different than the original one that I love because I just want to fall in love with a different Slayer character. Um, Like I said, no release date, no network. We don't really have any sort of insight into where it is in terms of like the production pipeline. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But it does, it will be written and showrun by Monica. Awusu Breen, who has also worked on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Alias, which I fucking love, and Fringe, which is another show I love. And as I also said earlier, Joss Whedon will be involved. Uh, Just like Joss Whedon is very involved in the current run of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic books, which I have been told by multiple people that I should read, but I have not gotten around to yet. But it is on my Goodreads list. Um, So it's obviously unclear how much, if anything, they'll use from the comic books. But it'd be interesting to see. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't recommend remixing comic books because it didn't end well for The Walking Dead. But I trust both Monica and Joss, because we're on a first-name basis like that. Of course. To realize this Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because I think they know that if they're not going to do it right, they will have a mob of fans. And I'm not a huge fan of people coming for creators of content on Twitter. It's just sort of insane to me sometimes, but they know what's at stake. And especially with nerd fans, like they're very passionate and they want to see something and just don't try to make it exactly like the original is my only piece of advice. But it's cu- I'm curious to know what channel it'll end up going on because like we said, the reboots, like Murphy Brown went back to CBS. Yeah. Uh, Will and Grace went back to NBC. And then same with the Connors went back to ABC. Yeah. Buffy was on the WB before it became the CW. Yeah. But the CW also has a bunch of 90s shows that we grew up with that they've currently rebooted that I've heard good things about. But I feel like it's the old millennial. I'm like, I think it's this show is not for me. But the Charmed reboot with um, the three Latina sisters. Yeah. And then there's a Roswell reboot. 
which I, I actually there... haven't really educated myself on. I thought I did, maybe I didn't, but I do know that the original run of Roswell was the first time I like wrote a letter to a network to like uncancel something. <laughs> Because at the time they had like a campaign for the original Roswell. Yeah. Um, you would send them like a little thing of Tabasco sauce because that was what. I, yeah. And so you would send it to the network and be like, "Please don't cancel Roswell." They did. We love Catherine Heigl. They did that for um, Fiona Apple's album. People sent oh Sony yeah. Music apples so that they would release Extraordinary Machine. Oh, like, they really fucked up that. But that's yeah, yeah. its I, own story. Oh my god. I remember illegally downloading the the bootleg version. The LimeWire all the way. Oh my god, yep, yep, yep. So the Charmed reboot, I've heard good things about. I've only watched the trailer for both of these shows because, again, I watched the trailers like, this is for teens, and I'm so glad a teen will watch it and hopefully have the same interpretation of, like... the biggest thing about these reboots. I'm like, this is so nice to see, like, what we thought were great shows get reboots, but then also get the treatment that they deserve in incorporating, like, characters who are people of color or people who are LGBTQ or just having identities that were otherwise marginalized um, and having that representation on TV. And also driving home the the teen theme of, like, everybody is weird, like, even if yeah. you're an alien. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if you're an alien or not, everybody's super strange. It, there was a bit... I don't think there was any backlash with Roswell being rebooted, only because I don't think that Roswell had... I mean, I think it has a cult following, for sure, the original one does, but I don't think that it was on par with Charmed, mainly because Charmed ran for so long... There was a bit of backlash, and I can't remember if it was Shannon Doherty or it was Holly Marie Combs who had an issue with it, who thought that they should either get their blessing or involve them in the reboot. And I think that it's always smarter to not incorporate the older parts of it because then you just, it runs the risk of it being stale in the same ways that we were talking about earlier. She has a pretty little liar's money. Isn't she happy with that? I don't know. I, I think that some people. It, maybe when it's part of your life for as long as it was for them, yeah. they just sort of feel, I don't want to say, in, entitled is not the right word, but they definitely feel like they should be involved or have a say, and that's not the a wrong way to feel, I don't think, but I also think that, like, don't, I mean, don't you, you've moved on, like, why wouldn't you want to just continue to move on? Yeah. I Just, like, the show is not in our age demographic. Mm-mm. Maybe the show is not about you anymore. Yeah. No, and I that agree. has to be okay. And that has to be okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Netflix has, I feel like they sort of, st- you think that it was BuzzFeed list. I think it was Netflix green lighting fucking Full House all over again. Oh, Fuller House, yeah. I, I watched half the first season for years ago, and I just, just to give you the quick premise, DJ Tanner, whose last name is now Fuller, hence the name Fuller House. Oh my God, kill yeah. me. Um, she is a widowed mother, veterinarian, mother of three boys, um, and basically Danny Tanner gets a job in L.A., so he's moving, and they need someone to take care of the house. Who's going to live there? Oh, DJ Tanner and her three sons are Fuller and her three sons, and then Stephanie just happens to be uh, coming back from a worldwide DJ gig and needs a place to crash. And Kimmy Gibbler moves in because she's now a sing- she's divorced from her husband and she has a daughter. And that's how we get three adult women with three young boys, plus a side daughter or whatever. Stephanie. Stephanie, yeah. So she's the John Stamos? Yeah, I think Stephanie's the John Stamos. 
obviously DJ is the, and then yeah, that would make sense because Kimmy would totally be Danny. Yeah, Mr. Dave Coulier. Would she go down on <laughs> I don't know if Kimmy Gibbler necessarily elicits that sort of response <laughs> from people. Yeah. Oh, well, it Gibbler. is ending after when they release whatever upcoming season they have. That's it. It's yeah, over. Good. Which, thank God, I don't really know how many stories are left to tell. Oh, my God. They made a lot of references to the Olsen twins saying no to the show on the show. Like, it's just John so thirsty. Was so hurt by it. Oh, John Stamos, just because you married some woman who's obsessed with Disneyland doesn't mean you need to come for the Olsen twins because they have their own lives. Don't you make enough money being a part-time beach boy anyway? Like, seriously. <laughs> Such a weird thing. <laughs> a strange man. Well, I blame Netflix. Honestly, you started this crazy craze of having everything get fucking rebooted because this was marginally popular. Well, it was actually crazy popular when it was premiered. Yeah. It was, like, binged a lot. The, the, I mean, Netflix never releases their full-blown numbers, so it's always very difficult to parse. But in terms of whatever paradigm Netflix uses to measure success, it was a, it was a successful show. Or else they wouldn't have ordered a bunch more seasons. Yeah. I just think that it's declined a bit, and maybe it's just not what people are looking for anymore. Which, you know... Whatever. Whatever. Those houses, you, none of you could afford to live there. No. It, it's. I mean, actually, maybe that's the most realistic thing about Full House is that it would take at least three adults, but none of them ever seem to have a job. So yeah. I don't, really don't know how they afforded the rent on it. And also, just like the homeowner fees, because you have to keep up the Victorian paint job. Yeah. And there's all sorts of rules and regulations that come with owning a historical house that I don't believe any of those dudes in the first iteration could afford. No, no. That house, I've been to it. It's in Pack Heights. It's like you can go see it, and yeah, it's on like Broderick Street. There's no way. That house is several million dollars now. At best. At best. <laughs> or, I mean, at, yeah, at best. At best. I'm try- they put all sorts of crazy regulations onto having one of those houses, and I think also, like, yard upkeep is part of it. There weren't enough episodes devoted to that yard upkeep. <laughs> Michelle learns a very important lesson while raking leaves. Or OSHA fees. Like, come on. Um, And then they've successfully rebooted Queer Eye and made it feel fresh and different enough that it's really become a huge success for the show. Yeah. Or for the network. I'm sorry. Not even a network. It's streaming app. Streaming app. It's it's Steven Spielberg gets his way. Not a contender for the Oscars. (laughs) Yeah. His... was Queer Eye nominated for any Emmys? Yeah, it was. And Jonathan Van Ness was nominated for an Emmy for Queer Eye and then also for um, Gay of Thrones. Oh, Gay of Thrones is really funny. And it's hilarious. Um, I love Jonathan Van Ness. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, you know what I've been thinking about? You're right. The Netflix totally has put all these reboots on the map. But, like, much like Queer Eye that did a really good job doing the spinoff and making sure that it was its own show on its own, I think they've done that with Sabrina. Um, and Sabrina has been uh, super successful, and what I like about it is it's Greg Berlanti, so it's it's going to be the the I think I got that right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's um it's you know the 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 Archie universe. It's 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 the same people who make Riverdale, um, and it's got this dark twist, and it's so very different from its '90s counterpart that was on ABC. So it's network. It's part of the TGIF lineup. It's very campy and cute. And very of its time, like it was perfect for like tweenagers or whatever you want to call it. I was obsessed, um, and it was—it's been done so well. I think um, I, you know, it has its issues here and there, but ultimately, it has become its own show. It has 
different, you know, you still have Hilda and Zelda, but you have all these other people introduced. Like, it's just done a really, really good job differentiating itself. Um, when I was doing research on the original Sabrina, I think it was fascinating to find out that it was created by Nell Scovel. Um, she is such a badass. She was the second female writer ever for Letterman. Oh. Yeah. And oh, she had, like, a piece in Vanity Fair. Yes. Yeah, yes. where she talked about her time on Letterman. Right. She was only there for a year or less than. And when Letterman, like, ten years ago, admitted to having sexual relationships with female staffers, um, she published that essay you were talking about in Vanity Fair, calling the show was a hostile work environment for women. Um, she noted that he had only had uh, seven female writers in 27 years of being on the air, which is insane. <laughs> she also co-wrote Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In. Oh, that's <laughs> probably the only reason why it's enjoyable to read. Right. Um, there are so many differences on the, the ABC show where she has magical powers at 16 versus not knowing for most of her life, which is Archie and the current iteration of Sabrina. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of 90s, like, who's, if you will. <laughs> um, Lindsay Sloan is her best friend in the later seasons. Soleil Moon Fry and um, what's her name? Uh, Soleil Moon Fry and Elisa Donovan are her best friends in the college years. So Amber from Clueless, yep. <laughs> and then Punky Brewster, um, and then her, the Mean Girl was uh, played Libby in high school was played by Jenna Lee Green, who if you're a Broadway person, I'm a Broadway person. Uh, she was Nessa Rose in Wicked in the first ever touring production. Um, but anyway, Harvey in the original in the '90s show is not a witch hunter; doesn't come from a family of witch hunters. Um, is very like just kind of clean from that. Um, there are a lot of plot devices on the 90s show. I mean, it, it just doesn't, it's not a good rewatch. Like, it's, I tried rewatching it for this, and I just, I couldn't do it. Like, it, it was great when I was 11. Not as great now when I'm 31. Um, <laughs> but the iconic episode that I wanted to rewatch for sure was there's a Britney Spears episode that was aired where Britney Spears showed up, and her song Drive Me Crazy was a hit because that movie with Melissa Joan Hart and a young pre-honorage Adrian Grenier. That, I remember <laughs> being so perplexed by that movie's plot. Oh my god, it's such a weird one too. And like the people who show up in it. Well, I mean, we'll do a '90s movie. They'll be. Yeah, I mean, that was one that movie was yeah. truly like my worst nightmare. Is that I like a dude, and then my mom ends up marrying yeah. his dad. I would be mortified. Oh my god! And the weirdest thing that I did when I deep dive researched was finding out that the mom in that movie was played by um, the mom and dad of. Uh, they were divorced in the movie that were Melissa Joan Hart's parents mm -hmm. were played by Reverend Camden from seventh heaven. Like who later we all found out and, oh. and his then wife. And the reason his, that story came to light about him, like molesting girls was because she had spilled it in therapy sessions. And like, it came out that this had happened. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway. So anyway, awkward. that was not so awkward. Anyway, back to Sabrina though. Anyway, that episode was iconic. It happened right around the time that movie came out. What a weird movie. Also, what a interesting crossover. Yes. Very interesting crossover. Is that native advertising? I mean, yeah, I think so. It also introduced us to Britney Spears' acting, which in our her iconic movie, Crossroads, really. I mean, the Shonda Rhimes opus, oh. Crossroads, starred Britney Spears and Zoe Saldana and... Uh, uh, Taryn Manning. There we go. Remember Boomcat? No. Her, she and her brother had a band called Boomcast. All I remember is that she was also a DJ, and she yeah. like DJed some, like, pre-Sundance party I went to once, and I was like, 
Anyone could be a DJ, I guess. <laughs> that was the thing, though, for like a solid decade. Anyone could be a DJ. It's I think anyone. Could, Paris Hilton. I genuinely feel like anyone still can be a DJ. That's true. That's I mean, true. I love Idris Elba, but he's also technically a DJ. That's true. Which should make him like 10% less attractive, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's no. not fair. No. But please tell me more about Sabrina. Well, so Sabrina <laughs> was, in fact, the highest rated series. Uh, during its four-year run on ABC in TGIF lineup, it was uh, the highest rated in, like, 2001. It goes to the WB because there was a huge negotiation dispute. Viacom, and this is another thing, like, TV Inside, which you are really into as well. Um, over the years, a lot of networks are were uh, using different studios, like, different network studios to produce their movies. Like, Warner Brothers would have shows on CBS or whatever. Cost a lot of money. Anyway, so there was a big dispute because of this. It was an it was airing on ABC, but it was a Viacom show, and Viacom owns CBS. Interesting. So there were all sorts of payment disputes, and so ABC was willing to renew that show for a fifth season. The network wasn't willing to pay the reported $1.5 million an episode, which in 90s money is a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I then, mean, it's still a lot of money now. <laughs> so then it is. It is. Let's see. So then the WB, it goes to the WB, and it becomes a very college years moment. Like, it's you know, like Saved by the Bell, the college years. That's so sort of similar to what happened to Mindy, sorry, Mindy Kaling's show. Yeah. It was produced by NBC, but then aired on Fox, and then Fox got sick of paying NBC to air it, and so they canceled it, and that's how it Hulu. ended up on Hulu. But I, that was the first time I had sort of realized that that's Me too. what goes on Is that back. Brooklyn Nine-Nine? I don't... Maybe that was Brooklyn Nine-Nine's case. I haven't looked that deeply into what happened with them. But, yeah, yeah I, I didn't... It just boggles my mind a little bit that you're like, oh, just produce it over here, and actually, we don't really want it, but we still own the rights to it, but we'll... F I don't know who it's on to find distribution. Yeah. These are all a bunch of questions that are very technical and not super compelling podcast material, but... Fascinating. I didn't realize that that's why it had moved over to the WB. Yeah, it wasn't a ratings thing at all. Like, it was wildly successful. And so it, that's why it went to the WB. And it, you know, changed the vibe, big deal. And, like, it just, it was very much like college years. It just, I mean, the show, again, the rewatch is not great, but those years are especially painful even when I remember watching them. I think that's when I stopped watching was, it just wasn't great. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, it was, the show was perfect for its time. It was great for, like, young millennial girls. Like, again, I was 11 at the time. I was obsessed with Sabrina, the Spice Girls, and the Backstreet Boys, and that was pretty much my life around then. So, it was perfect. Um, but, essentially, there are huge differences. Uh, the new chill Sabrina, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, um, we, in this one, obviously Salem, the cat is not in the nineties version. It was very campy, had a human voice and all that here. Sabrina, uh, Salem is just, uh, quiet, doesn't speak. It's awesome. <laughs> is he just a real cat? He's just a real cat. I mean, I think they use some computer animation here and there, but yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, I like that in this one, there's definitely more diversity with her friends, uh, her two best friends at school are Roz and Susie, and Roz is black. She's also a huge activist at school and, like, very uh, in touch with, like, how bad the policies are at her school and, like, works to, like, um, get people to organize protests and, like, all sorts of cool things. Um, she's awesome. Susie is genderqueer, and there have been a lot of pieces about how the show hasn't handled it in the best way, so I'm hoping that they'll get better at that over time, but really interesting to see, you know, friends from differing worlds and, like, having a bit more diversity on this show. 
her cousin, uh, Sabrina's cousin, Ambrose is black and he's pansexual. And that again, I think over time, they'll probably learn how to address it better, but it's been really nice and refreshing to see, you know, different representation again on these shows. And I think they've done a good job evolving there. Um, the other thing is just like the dark twist. I think like this is not, it's, it has its funny moments, but this is like a dark show. Um, it's pretty graphic at times with like, uh, just all around, um, gore and things that are happening and it, it's dark but it's a great I think it's done a good job evolving itself the other thing that's interesting is I think it does a better job pandering to the politics of the time in comparison to Murphy Brown so we're okay. talking about earlier like Murphy Brown does this whole oh wink wink Trump sucks like blah 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 and I you know but I think Sabrina does a really interesting thing Sabrina so obviously uh, they are part of what's called the Church of Night because they worship Satan mm -hmm. in the show and but the imagery and uh, the the, the um, script and just the way they approach everything in that in being devout and a follower of Satan is very similar to evangelical Christianity, and there's a lot of like parallels there. So you have this you have to have a dark baptism where you sign your name in uh, in in the book and you are you know fully beholden to Satan. There is uh, a lot of sexism in their religion, so there's this annual thing called the Feast of Feasts, where they have a, a queen who's chosen to be sacrificed and eaten by Satan, but it's like considered the highest honor for a woman in the Church of Night. And so it's there are all these parallels between like you know the rampant sexism and issues with evangelical Christianity, but the irony, of course, is that they're worshiping Satan, which is like the complete opposite of evangelical Christianity. But it's really interesting to see. I think they've done a good job, kind of exploring that and showing you know exposing it for how ridiculous it is without being too much of this wink wink that murphy brown's been doing so i, I appreciate that i think they've done a really good job having sabrina be a, a character who's kind of outspoken um pretty feminist um again her friends are like just woke and know what's going on and it's just I'm happy to see this evolution. Um, I think there are some areas where, you know, they haven't gotten 100% right yet, but there's a lot of room for improvement, and I just think it's done a really good job in terms of its evolution and getting this dark treatment. Well, I'm glad that you liked it so much. I, I did. tried to give it... I watched the first three episodes. Maybe my mistake was watching it on a plane, but it was a long flight, and I know I had had some to drink, but I <laughs> found it at times to be literally too dark like i couldn't fucking see anything and i had turned oh, up yeah. the brightness that on my ipad issue. yeah and like they would say stuff i'm like wait what happened where is it yeah and i liked it and i really like kiernan shipka just generally i think that she's a great little i didn't mean to say little i think she's, she's no longer little she's like 18 or 19 now but i think she's a great young actress and i can't wait to see what else she does outside of Sabrina and obviously Mad Men. Um, so that was the whole reason why I wanted to watch it. I don't think that you read the comics because I know that it's yeah. based off of that. Right. And I have, I have not read the Archie comics. Um, but yeah, it is totally based off of that. Um, there are a couple of differences, like how she gets her white hair. She's not... Um, in the comics, she's always had it. And in the show, there's like a plot device that leads to her getting the white hair. Um, but yeah, it's pretty similar. It's meant to mimic that Archie comics, like... or or stay true to the stories in most ways. Yeah. But way darker. Yeah. It's a sexy, <laughs> literally dark show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are definitely, I think there were certain moments where I think they sexualized Kieran and Shipka a little too much. 
Oh, uh, like that bathtub scene? The bath, yeah, that's... I remember watching yeah. that and being like, did I just see her whole butt? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is weird. And I get it, she's, she, in real life, she is an adult, but she's playing a 15 going on 16 year old. Uh, oh, right, because they're so, still in high school, which yeah. is a fact that I would easily forget often. Oh. It's sort of like Dawson's Creek in some ways, where I'm just like, you don't act or sound like a teenager, yeah. and that doesn't mean that, like, you deserve bad things to happen to you, but it's just like, I constantly have to remind myself... These are 16-year-olds, yeah, and they're still in high school, and shouldn't you be in fucking class? Right, no, exactly, and I think there are moments like that for sure. I feel like in, in comparison to Dawson's Creek with Sabrina, it's not so much the dialogue that makes you feel like they're, they're not high schoolers, so much as it is, like, the camera choices and shot choices yes. of, like, or, or just the devices that are used to introduce things. You're just like, these are still high schoolers, holy shit, like... <laughs> It's it's creepy, um, but again, I think the show. I really liked it. I agree though with you on uh, in terms of like cinematography and all that. And I'm not using all the terms correctly. Somebody had to open up that aperture and let a little bit more light in. <laughs> it was a little, yeah. It's very difficult to watch sometimes just because it is very dark. And that's been a constant problem though. I feel like the last couple of years, there's been articles about this. Like, are we are things literally too dark? <laughs> I, I think the two articles that I keep seeing that I can't help but agree with are it's literally too dark and everybody's whispering. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that the happens whisper... in Sabrina a lot. Yes, I did also feel... But I, you know what? I actually had less of a problem with the sound because I had earbuds in, so I felt like I could hear them very well, but that was why I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? I can't see anything. <laughs> I don't know. So I've been wanting to give it another shot like on an actual TV with sound and maybe some subtitles, and then we could maybe kind of work it out. Because I feel like I'm primed to like this show, and I like the Church of Satan angle, and I do. I could see what you were saying about how they were laying down the tracks to for you to see the parallels between just any sort of hyper fanatical religion. religion. Yeah, it's like you're basically one step closer to a fucking cult. Right. Um, but and in this case, it's literally it's literally a cult. A cult. Um, <clears throat> did you hear about the Church of Satan suing the show? I did. I for did. that Baphomet yeah. statue. Yeah, I did. Which I almost sort of watched for that because I'm like, what are you guys getting all upset over? <laughs> I think they ended up settling, so I believe it's all well and good now, or as well and good as it's going to be. Between a large studio and the churches. <laughs> what a bizarre and very 2018-2019 problem to be just casually dropping into the conversation. Yeah. Um, I guess my last question before we wrap up this topic is, especially now that we've broken it down, does it just feel like there are a lot of reboots happening right now or is it actually factually true it's factually true i mean i feel like a lot gets announced yeah that's but true. not a ton sees the light of day which is possibly f and i don't even know if the ones that we are seeing are like the best of what we could be getting from reboot culture yeah or if we're missing out on something or if there's i think the best thing that you could always do if you desperately want to reboot a show is to do something that only had, like, one or two seasons. That's what, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think that's happening a lot now. So Veronica Mars, for example, is getting uh, a continuation. So it's, I don't know if it's a reboot, per se. It's just, like, a continuation. Um, I know that... But they're bringing back original cast. They, and are, they yeah, also did yeah. that movie a couple of years ago. Which I supported on Kickstarter. <laughs> that movie, I was not a fan. I was actually... I was really... also not a huge fan, but I didn't want to say it first because no. I don't want any Kristen Bellheads to come for me. Listen, I love KB, but, like, no. That was not a good... I was happy to support it at the time, but then I saw the movie and I was very disappointed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's happening. There, There's some interesting ones that keep getting announced. But I think you're right. There's just, I feel like every, going back to BuzzFeed, I feel like I, or Twitter, like I go back and I see every single week there seems to be like, this obscure show that you haven't thought about for the last 15 years is going to be getting a reboot now. And you're just, yeah, some of them really do never see the light of day. Well, I feel like we've wrung out the reboot topic yeah. for today. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening Thank to our hot takes, hot, scalding hot takes, scalding hot takes on <gasps> reboot culture. Um, if you liked our podcast, subscribe or like or however it is that you can have this constantly populate in your feed whenever we have a new episode. Uh, leave us a review if you're so inclined. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. Old Millennials Pod. Yeah. Well, we'll have all sorts of nostalgia content for you waiting. And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Margs, she wrote. And I am at Emily A. Beijing, and that's B-E-G-I-N, like the word begin. <laughs> that really should be the title of your memoir. It should be. Until next time, bye. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.